This has got to have been one of the most lively services I've been a part of. We sang more words in a shorter period of time. My tongue got tied in a knot. Only a sovereign God can bring a, a black brother with a beard that is legit and a pastor who's a redhead as white as an Altoid and an olive-skinned Turk and put us together in a service. Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Just three days, I get a whole new crop of kids, students. If you take me for a single class, one, you have to, it is required, to go with me into a temple, a synagogue, masjid, a mandir. Uh, I drag them everywhere. I'd rather talk to them than talk about them. One of the things I tell my students is this. God said go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We didn't, so he brought the world here. Our job is to go to them. Because somebody did that to me. I had never been in a church, never been around Christians, never held a Bible. And it was one boy. And I got saved in a church that was so small... But on a good Sunday, it was about 60 people. I'm telling you this because it's confession. Fact. I teach church history, Baptist history, and here's one of the principles. And you'll understand why I'm saying it. In the history of America, in the history of America, there has never been one revival, not one that ever came out of prosperity, ever. It has never happened. First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, Lamplighter Revival, Prayer Revival, 1857, Azusa Street, 1906, not one, not one revival ever happened when everybody was happy. In fact, every revival was hit when we were desperate and dying. And in 2022, I have never, I have never in my short time of living, I have never seen our country go crazier. Uh, we are drowning in information and starving for wisdom. And we got an entire culture that I would estimate acts more like the Pharaoh. They're terrified of the plague, but not of God. And they may not like us, but they need us. They need us. More pastors have been arrested in American Canada. More missionaries have been kidnapped. More people have been kicked out of countries than in the history of American Christianity since the great mission movement of William Carey. It's the greatest period of time to be alive. As strange as that sounds, revival comes when we need it most. Second principle I'm going to give you is that every revival in the Bible involves just three things and only three. A pulpit with a preacher, a people who praise, and an altar. And that's it. 
the revivals that hit America, the biggest movements of God, all the way to the Jesus People movement of the 1970s. They missed the big cities. They missed the big churches. You guys do know Harvard started as a preacher school in 1636. And then they lost their faith in the God of the Word and the Word of God, and they went liberal. So Yale started, 1701, and then Yale went crazy. And then Princeton started. When Princeton lost it, Princeton Seminary started. And the Second Great Awakening, the biggest churches that had been blessed by the First Awakening rejected the preachers, rejected the movement of God, and rejected worship. And it's what caused this. Well, if you ain't going to let us in your churches, we ain't going to stop preaching. We'll just stand on a stump. And when he did, it became camp meeting. Brush Arbor, Sawdust Trail, and they involved three things. The musicians lead us into worship, and they led us into battle. I come from a world of pure academics. I'm not an emotional man by nature. And so this is wildly uncomfortable for me, but massively needed. If revival is going to hit us, it's not going to hit the seminaries. It's not going to hit the colleges. Here's something you need to know. The greatest movements of God that hit America in the last 150 years happened outside of the big cities. And it did involve students, but not because of their education. As an example, Asbury Seminary, 1968. God hit chapel so hard that students were flat on their faces at the altar. Professors who were skipping the chapel, because by and large we're idiots, started looking around and wondering where their students were. And then some of them even had the audacity and temerity to be, to be mad. But when God moves, it hits like a tornado. We've got bigger buildings, more land, massive places. I dragged my students to a Buddhist retreat north of here. Millions of dollars to put a gold-plated tower. They do it bigger and they do it better. But nobody has the power. And nobody has the answer. If our country is going to be saved, it's going to be because believers in Christ. I'm not religious, I'm saved. I left religion. As a Muslim, I read the Quran. I'd never held a Bible. And I couldn't understand. While I could spend all your day telling you how I got saved, I'm not going to. I do want to tell you what affected me. Not just the testimony of a boy, but people who worshipped. I want you to hear this from Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to beg you to read the chapter on your own time. But for the sake of time, picking up in verse 14. Here's what you need to know about Hebrews. It's just minutes before Jerusalem falls. The church, the children of God, they don't have a building. They're in hiding. They have to worship in cemeteries in the catacombs. Because if they were to be found, they'd be put to death. The reason they worshipped in the cemeteries and in the catacombs was because the Roman soldiers were superstitious and terrified of ghosts. And they were willing to risk their lives to worship. To sing. I sat on a chapel stage with a 
guy I respected, he wouldn't stand. Everybody else would stand and sing. We were worshiping. Students with their hands raised, faces up, some of them kneeling. He just kept leafing through his Bible. Afterwards, I go, what's up? Why, why are you doing this? And he said a sentence to me that's a death blow to the church. Oh, it's all a waste of time before the preaching. We don't need smarter Christians. We need bigger altars. For we have no permanent city here. Verse 14. We seek the one that is to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, don't forget, do good. Don't forget to share. Because by this, such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Here's why I can preach this. Because I don't got a lick of rhythm and I don't have a dog in the fight. In the 70s, we fought over prayer language. Tongues. Now we fight over worship because they're the same thing. Prayer is the most intimate conversation you can have with God, and worship is your communication with God put to music. That's why the devil attacks them both. It's not going to hit the seminaries as much as I've dedicated 25 years of my life to it. It starts in out-of-the-way places, and it starts with people who worship. Fifteen revivals in the Old Testament. They had an altar. They had a song. And they had a word. So in the brief time I have with you, I want to talk to you about an anthem and an altar. I'm telling you this because I can't sing. Not a lick. You had us standing up here, my brother. And all the guys taking the offering almost started moving. <laughs> because that was something. But I couldn't do it. When I preach in the black churches, they put me up on the stage and all the deacons start singing and moving and I'm slam dancing. I'm just hitting into everybody. I don't have rhythm and I don't have a dog in the fight and I don't have a style of worship. You wanna know the loudest concert I've ever been to? I've been in Texas 20 years. Oh, it's gotta be country. You went to Billy Bob's. I know country music a little bit, but no. And I'm a child of the 80s, so it had to be hair metal. No, I've been to those. But no, loudest concert I've ever been to, and I mean no competition, was when I took my three-year-old son to the American Airlines Arena and for three hours heard screaming kids to the Wiggles. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? All dads, like me, boys on our shoulders, fingers in our ears while they're screaming, hot potato, hot potato. And every kid's screaming so loud, I'm getting a migraine. They've got bigger buildings, more money, and it ain't about none of that. If revival's going to come, sadly, it's going to miss the biggest churches, the prettiest buildings. Here's what it's going to take. Number one, true worship, real worship, the kind of worship that pleases God, is a reflection of our desperation. Let me explain. In just a few years, after the book of Hebrews is written, Jerusalem falls. The Roman emperor sends his general 
And Titus and the boys sacrifice a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies. They had nothing. Everything's taken from them. Everything. Even in, in verse 10, we have an altar who serviced the tabernacle, and those people have no right to eat. They even took our altar. They stole our buildings. They stole everything we got. But they cannot steal your song. I couldn't understand why you Christians sing. There's no singing in the mosque. Not a Sunni mosque, not a Shiite mosque, not a Sufi mosque, not Alawite, not Druze, not Wahhabi. You don't sing. Christians are the only people who worship. Well, wait a minute. There's other groups that sing. Yeah, because they're religious. And if you're religious and you study the 16 major world religions with me, you understand religion is a set of rules and rituals and rites, things that you do and say to get your God to love you or to get your God to quit hating. I mean, that's why they do a rain dance in the Choctaw Nation. Because they want the crops to come. They want to be blessed. They are expecting something. There are other groups that do this, forms of Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhism. But we're the only ones who worship. You want to know why? I couldn't figure out why you were so nice, and I couldn't figure out why you sang. See, Christians don't sing. We don't dance. We don't wave our hands. We don't raise our heads. We don't kneel at an altar to get something from God. We're the only ones who do it because we have already received. And they cannot take your song. When he says sacrifice of praise, he is putting together the altar and the song because they're the same. Both of them demand a response. Worship introduces us, brings us into the presence of Almighty God. If you play an instrument, here's what you need to know. The word for praise is the word for symbol here. So it's the instruments, it's the singers, it's the fruit of our lips, and we lay it on the altar. You only go to the altar when you're desperate. Sadly, most people are no longer desperate. We give the invitation. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm just a professor. But when the evangelist gives the invitation, every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. And you know good and well we all pee. <laughs> every one of us. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And we wonder, why, why, why? We're wondering, why, why? Why is that guy going to the altar? I wonder why I don't. I'm more concerned about those who don't think they need it than those who know they do. The world's falling apart around us. They can take everything, but they can't take your song and they can't take your Savior. Acts 16, 25. Paul and Silas are in jail on death row. The Bible says in verse 25, round about midnight, Paul and Silas are singing, praying, and singing hymns unto God. And the other prisoners listened. You know who can silence you? Only you. You know who can silence the church? Only the church. They can take everything from you except that which is eternal. Take your house, take your job, the house you got. We don't have a permanent residence here. We're waiting for the one to come. They can take everything from you but your Savior. And when you are desperate, you know from when your help comes. 
Desperation is how God answers prayer. Desperation is how God answers revival. It's not like God sitting up in heaven going, no, they're not good enough, nice enough, sweet enough, pretty enough. I will not bless them. Shut up. God will bless. He always wants to. He will bring revival. He always wants to. He's just looking for people who are hungry and desperate enough to take it. Who know we're not powerful enough without him. That's why we need to move the Holy Spirit. It's got to be bigger than us. I don't have the answers. But I know where I can find them. If I would just put aside my pride. It's not a waste of time before the preaching. If you're not into the singing, you're probably not into the altar. It brings me to point number two. It's a register. It's not just a reflection. It's a register. It's a register of our hearts. What I mean by that is it's a barometer of a church. It's a thermometer of the believer. Show me a guy who's got his arms crossed while we're singing, and I'll show you somebody who's forgotten what it means to be grateful. Find a church where it doesn't matter what form you take. In the Old Testament, they were on their faces before God. They were heads raised, heads raised, shouting, singing, weeping. It doesn't matter the form. It matters the altar. Because at the altar is where you find the answers. At the altar is where you find your friend. At the altar is where somebody joins you in prayer. At the altar is where I actually admit that I don't know where I'm going or how I'm doing this. I'm so hungry and I'm so desperate. I need somebody. I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a movement like that. I want to be in a church where praise is naturally supernatural. Where it just flows. I don't have a dog in this fight. But I got something to tell you. There's only two musical movements, two musical movements in the last 150 years that were born out of poverty. One of them is the blues. You don't sing the blues if she stayed. Right? And the other one was Southern Gospel. And those of you who love Southern Gospel, I couldn't understand a word y'all were saying. But here's what I did learn. Southern gospel music started in this past century because of pain, poverty, and desperation. We came back from World War I, boom, right into the Depression. The Dust Bowl. We lose homes, we lose farms, we lose family. Boom, right into World War II. Guys came home with that thousand-yard stare. Nothing that they trusted in, nothing that they fought for seemed to matter. Is there any hope? And everything was gone. But it's in our poverty that we find our strength. It's in our poverty that we find what we got, what we need. And Southern Gospel started that way. They didn't have instruments that were like, you know, pipe organs. They had instruments that traveled. That little church in Franklin County, North Carolina, that put me on the praise team, we had a fifth Sunday singing. A fifth Sunday singing, I didn't understand. I'm a city kid. One guy played a wash tub. He called it a wash tub. <laughs> with a rubber band. And he thumped it like a John L. Williams fretless bass. Boom, 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 boom. Another guy put a thing in his mouth that when he hit it, spit flew everywhere. <laughs> right? Juice heart. Third guy was playing silverware. And they gave me the jug. But nobody ever explained to me what the jug was for. They said, just blow in it. 
We did some songs like we did here. I'll Fly Away, stuff that was real fast, Royal Telephone. But nobody explained to me how to play. See, if you're just blowing into the jug and you don't inhale, at some juncture, you start seeing white stars. <laughs> and I was the preacher on the platform about to pass out. <laughs> I'm talking about real poverty. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You were raised poor. You know what you've got, and you are grateful for it. That puts you in a position to be blessed by God. Because gratitude moves God. It gives you more when you're grateful with what you got. I'm talking poor. When all my friends in school were getting booberry and Count Chocula and Cinnamon Toast Crunch, my mama walked past all the boxes at the end of the aisle where the trash bags full of off-brand cereal were sold. A 36-gallon tub of cocoa poofs. <laughs> oh, we got to go to the movies, just like the other kids did. But we snuck stuff in. We snuck in the dollar store candy. You hug my mama, she gonna crunch right in front of you. When you know what you didn't have, you appreciate what you got, and you know where you got it from. Find me a place where the people know the altar is the most important piece of furniture in the building, because that's where you return thanks. It's where you offer a sacrifice of praise. Number three, it's also a reminder to the remnant. One of the keys of the book of Hebrews is look at the number of times it says, let us. I believe Paul keeps including everybody in it. Because one of the dangers of living in a time like 2022, one of the dangers of being without revival is that you begin to think you're alone. You're the only voice. You're the sole person. But look what he says. He goes, let us have grace with others so that we may serve God. Let us, 13.5, have conduct without covetousness. Let us go forth, 13.13. And therefore, by him, let us continuously offer a sacrifice of praise. As much as you may feel alone, you are not. And when you're in a people group that love you and stand with you, it makes us a fellowship and it makes us a family. When you see somebody go to the altar and it's somebody you know, join them. Because there's nothing that lifts you up when you know somebody's got your back. When you know somebody's with you. The remnant is there. Don't for a second believe that we are outnumbered and outfoxed. Because there is 7,000 who have not bent their knee to bail. We stand. But the only way we do it is we stand together. It is a reminder. Worship is a reminder. You look around and there's somebody else with their hand raised. I got you. We family. We kin. It's also a respite for your pain. Some of us have become so pained, we've become numb. Last three years, the world's gone crazy. If you turned on the television today and they said, oh, by the way, Area 51 opened up and aliens are running wild, most of us would go, yeah. <laughs> and living in this period of time, I know exactly who would have joined the Nazis to turn me in if I was Anne Frank. Because we got people telling on us all the time. 
I want to know who's got my back. And I don't want to be numb. Christianity's got a pulse. Christianity's got a purpose. What kills me is the people I hang with, my academic friends, the guys who are professors. How dare you turn the word of God into a textbook? How dare you turn the walk with God into something that is dry and stale and stagnant? I am saved by the living God. Man, I'm a follower of my father. And you will not shut me up and you will not stop me. That's, that's the heart, man. That's where you get the healing. At the altar is where you get the healing. At the altar is where you offer your praise. My last point. We need a rebirth of worship. We need a place like the altar because it's a reunion. It's a reunion for the saints. He says, we don't got a place here. We got one to come. I couldn't understand why you guys didn't fear death. Everybody fears death. In Islam... The prophet Muhammad, who was supposedly the seal of the prophets, said he didn't know where he was going. We feared death as Muslims because we feared the judgment. What's wrong with you people? How is it you don't fear? It's because you know who purchased your ticket. It's because you know who's building your house. And you know you've got family waiting who taught you how to worship. When I got dry in college, you know, the academic world. When I got dry and lonely and, and I felt that Christianity was seemingly like a job, my pastor took me in 1986 to the Real Evangelism Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. I had never been part of something like that. But picture a sanctuary like this, jack full of people. And the preachers, guys who've been in this pulpit, Bill Stafford, Manly Beasley, Sam Cathy. And when the preachers started, the people responded. In the white church, it's usually monologue. You get to a black church, they'll talk back at you. Right? Well, in that setting, you'd have guys stand up with their handkerchief going, sit down right there. Which I didn't understand, so I sat down. <laughs> These guys were so moved and so touched. They were there because they were that far from quitting. And they got refilled, recharged, recalibrated. I knew nothing about Southern Gospel. All I knew is there was a girl named Candy Hemphill that I, I, I wanted to marry. She was pretty. <laughs> but a group got up to sing. I'd never heard of them. One guy named Big Jim Hamill. They were called the Kingsmen. And they sang Sweet Beulah Land. We serve here. We don't quit till we're there. And if you're not dead, you're not done. If you stop worshiping and you stop praising, the next generation will die. We need the altar. Let's pray. So, Father, here it is. We need churches with a fresh altar where there's fresh oil. And we need people who will not settle for second best, who will not stop, who will not settle for casual or comfortable Christianity. 
If revival's going to come to this country, it's not going to be up to somebody else. It's up to us. Sadly, most churches have gotten too dignified. And they don't know the difference between dignity and death. There are brothers and sisters in this room. There are brothers and sisters in this room who will not be silenced. There are brothers and sisters in this room who know where to find a place, hollowed out a stump, take a knee, and won't get up until they get a word from God. May their tribes multiply. We offer a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, and we don't quit until we're home. Because the next generation needs it, because our country needs it, and 7.7 billion people. And the only thing that can silence us is us. For the brothers and sisters in this room who need a fresh touch, we have the altar. For the brothers and sisters in this room who need fresh prayer, we got partners. We got a remnant. For the brothers and sisters in this room who don't know where the next check's coming from, this is a reminder who've got you this far so far. We need revival. We need real worship. In the name of Jesus Christ, meet us at the altar. When you've heard.